I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, welcome aboard. This is Nature Biotechnology's first rounders podcast. I'm your host, Brady Huggett, and the guest today is Samantha Dew. Samantha Dew is the chairman, CEO, and founder of Xilab, uh, a company sometimes referred to as the portal into China for innovative biotech drugs. She is sometimes referred to as the godmother of Chinese biotech. Um, she was in New York, or coming to New York on business, and I, I coaxed her into the studio. And uh, we talked about lots of things. We talked about her memories of the Cultural Revolution and how it affected her family. We talked about her leaving China to come to the United States to study for her PhD. We talked about her time at Pfizer and what eventually drew her back to China. This podcast is being released alongside a feature article on Chinese innovation in biotech called Innovation Nation, with quote marks around innovation. That article was a long time coming. It took a lot of interviews um, a lot of travel, a lot of input from our team, a lot of guidance from our chief editor, Andrew Marshall, and our features editor, Laura DeFrancesco. And sometimes I thought it would never be published, but it actually is. It is up on our homepage now. You can read it there, uh, maybe after this after this podcast. Uh, I think I mentioned we've been doing some upgrading to our studio. I think I said that we, we had a, a sound booth now. This podcast was recorded before some of those some of those upgrades. And we used to have a swivel chair, a couple of them actually, in the studio. And Samantha Dew is an active person. And she swiveled in that chair a lot. And you can hear some of the creaking on the audio. Apologies for that. But that, um, that swivel chair has now been destroyed. I think you're ready to go. This should do it. So here it is, your first rounders podcast with Samantha Dew. Listen up. Yeah, I'm going to take you up, I think. A little bit. See how that goes. We've talked. We've talked before, mm. and uh, but I wanted to sort of go back and do some of the history too. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna push this up a little bit. Just you just be comfortable, as comfortable okay. as, you, as you can be. Um, so tell me, tell me, can you tell me where you were born? Uh, I was born in the northeast part of China, Changchun. It's the capital city of. Uh, Jilin province also was the capital city, captured capital city when Japan occupied China. Oh, it was? Yeah. Ah. And so uh, can you tell me, 
as you're growing up, you know, what did your parents do? Were were um, either one of them interested in sciences or? My my parents uh, actually they both are now science major. My father was uh, he got his degree in political science. Political science. And my mother also was not a, a science major, but uh, during Cultural Revolution, and uh, my father realized so political science may not be the best major to be. So after he. After revolution, all of the kids went to engineering, science as a major, and then pursue advanced degrees. So, so can you tell me? Because I, th- I find this interesting. Tell, tell me why your father thought that being a political science major was probably not the best thing during the Cultural Revolution. You know, Cultural Revolution is a very difficult time in China. Yeah, and uh, difficult in a way. I think uh, there are a lot of myths understanding of what is the socialism, what is really communist, what is the capitalism. And uh, my father was, uh, he spent a year in, in the jail because uh, he is considered very educated. He's in government position. Yeah. But uh, for, he came from a family with wealth, but he gave up because he believed he communist. But after he studied, he said, uh, you know, China perhaps needs to step by step. You know, it's good to give the unfortunate, uh, to provide the money to the unfortunate. But in the meantime, we need to product, you know, uh, increase the productivity, but also incentivize people to work. Incentivize people to work, yeah. So, so you're saying he was, he did, his family had money, but he sort of, in the name of communism, gave up the money, studied and sort of studying political science and thought, okay, what China needs to do is to incentivize workers, help the unfortunate, which, I mean, that does sound like communism, though, help the unfortunate, incentivize workers. Yeah, but during Cultural Revolution, I think China really, uh, I don't think China during the revolution was uh, many books about this. Uh, lots of people who has uh, education, uh-huh. high education intellectuals or officials who and uh, are put in political camp or uh, reason for no reason. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, that's part of the Cultural Revolution, just sort yeah, of attacking the elites. Really, it was a madness. Yeah. It was uh, madness. It was not. It was run by people who really don't know what is, you know, how to run economy. Yeah. What is what is uh, supposed to be done? You mean you mean like the Red Guards? You're talking about. Red cars, but supported by some minority yeah. senior leaders in Beijing. I see. Okay. So your your father spent a year in in a political prison? In, yeah, in a jail. And then a few years in a political prison. In a jail first, and then... Oh, so were you born yet? Uh, I was born. You were born? I was just born. So there were... I didn't remember him. N- first three years. Yeah, he was not there the first three years. Yeah. Uh, and when he, your, your mother was not, was your mother sent down to the farms or anything? No. No. My father, my mother was uh, very uh, hardworking. And even though he had a good job, he basically, because of my dad's situation, he decided to take a part-time job. Your brother? My father. Oh, your father. My, mo- my mother. Your mother, right. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> all of us at uh, the time, I was the youngest daughter. 
I didn't know my father was in political camp. I thought my father was doing some experiment in the countryside. Uh-huh. So I was uh, visit him once or twice a few months, uh, once a few months, and see him grow cucumbers in a in a cup, in a wine, or see him, um, you know, making all kinds of beautiful tomatoes. So I never wanted to even leave. I thought he lived a beautiful life. And that was the political camp. Yeah. So your your mother brought you to to see him, but didn't tell you why he was no. there. I mean, you were so young, yeah. You know, we never knew until he came out. He went back his position, and uh, so I always thought I grew up in a very proper family. Yeah, you didn't know till later that things were. Oh, I see. Okay. And so when he got out, um, did he have any any sort of effects that you could see? Maybe not from the political prison, but from being in jail for a year. Did he have any sort of? Um, he, I would give him credit. He's a very strong man. At jail, he started as uh, the he started the uh, Karl Marxism, the three uh, you know, books Karl Marxism wrote. Karl Marx, yeah. Karl Marx, yeah. And uh, in Russian, in the original, uh, he couldn't read in German but Russian, and uh, he developed his own philosophy. And uh, even on the political camp, he viewed that as a, a way for him. You know, he grew up in the family. He doesn't need to work. And, uh, you know, young, he went to to school uh-huh. or college. So he took those years as a physical exercise. But even so, he, he, did, he came home with a very normal, very unaffected, and a very optimistic outlook. We always wonder where he was, but uh, he never told us the story. Well, when when did you learn the story? Uh, when I first back to China, ninety-three. After after you come to the after U.S. I left U.S. Uh, to U.S. in eighty-nine. Then I went back ninety-three. After I got a. My PhD and Pfizer recruited me. Yeah. Oh, so that that long you didn't know? No. Well, when you found out, as you were an adult then, obviously, what did you think when you found out? He didn't say things uh, like very dramatically. Oh, he told you. He told you. Yeah. Yeah. He just basically. Uh, at by the both by the time I read lots of communist, you know, the the during the revolution, a lot of books. Yeah. And I realized what happened. You were thinking, all right, so the Cultural Revolution was going on. My father wasn't there for three years, and you started to think on your own. At least uh, during those, uh, uh, because uh, when he came back, I realized uh, his will was still very strong. Yeah. He still believed no matter what you need to do, you know, you have to build an economy to support people, yeah. feed and the food. People need to have food. And... Uh, so, you know, from his talks with his friends, I casually got some, but not t- totally. But when I grew up, I started reading. I love history. Uh-huh. I started reading history. about started from modern history, communist, and then realized, you know, a lot of people like in his generation been through harsh times. Bad times, yeah, hard times, so, for sure. So, so even back, we didn't talk too much about it, but he knew I knew already. Yeah. 
Because it could be because of all the reading you've done. Yeah. He knew, right. Okay. So I, I, this is another thing I want to ask. We mentioned, when I spoke to you before, you mentioned this. You know, after the Cultural Revolution, China sort of realized that it was scientifically behind. Very behind. Yeah, and they thought, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of catching up to do. And they, the government sort of handed down this message saying, you know, we have to do better in science. And, and did you grow up in that that environment where you understood that a scientific life was a life to be valued? I always grew up in a family like we were told we always have to go through high school. So all the kids in the family, we went to high school. Uh-huh. And uh, many of us had an advanced degree in the West. Uh, and uh, so it's not really about, it's, it's the family. It was, oh, your family. Yeah. yeah. Was very, even when my father was in political camp, we, well, I, my study wasn't factored. It wasn't, no. no I but still had to study very hard. When, uh, but the, in your family, the idea that you needed to study, uh, was it specifically sciences, like math is going to do great for you? Or if you had said, I wanted to be a political scientist like your father had been, you know, would your family have said, well, maybe chemistry yes, would be better or that's physics? That's a good point. When through my father's experience, he preferred we either uh, engineer or pure scientist. Yeah. Not a uh, arts. Not the arts. Not a doctor of arts. Yeah. But a doctor of, you know, some science. Yeah. <laughs> science. Okay. So then you finished high school. Yeah. And um, what what year was this when you finished high school? Uh, I finished in 88. 88. Okay. So then. 87. 87. You're thinking, all right, it's time to go to college. Mm-hmm. And uh, where? No, no, no. I finished, uh, sorry, 82. College, uh, high school. High school, high school in eighty two. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're thinking, all right, I need to go to college. And where where did you think you might go? My first choice would be. Um, I would like to be uh, in uh, uh, architecture, so I applied the best architecture school in China. But unfortunately, that year, I don't know if they. Recruit one or not recruit. Because that school usually, because I grew up in northeast part of China, uh-huh. usually the good schools, they recruit from Beijing, Shanghai, and uh, they, they don't have a lot of allocation. So um, so I don't know if I applied or what happened. But uh, my father really was, and also my, my uncles, my father's friends, who... Really against it. Against yeah. architecture. Yes. Yeah. They said that basically, uh, it's a girl architecture. Even you like geometry, like physics, it's you still have to go out, put a helmet on. You know, after Cultural Revolution, my father used to run government and run the five thousand the you know people companies. He felt like no matter how we were graduated, you end up putting on the field. He rather than me stay in the laboratory to put a lab coat on. You you put a helmet on. Rather than put a helmet on. Yeah, he he was saying that as a girl, he said, "Is that what you said?" As a girl, he said, "You're going to end up putting a helmet on and being out at the job site or something." No, as no, a, just put a put a. Lab coat on. Yeah, he wanted you to put a lab coat on. Yeah. I see. Okay. Rather than a helmet. Than the helmet, right. Or rather than a doctor seeing 
the patient or seeing the you know biopsy. Yeah. Okay, so then you thought, all right, well, maybe architecture is not the thing, and. Well, I, uh, but anyway, so that back then was about molecular molecular bioscience was very popular. Uh huh. And uh, he just uh, changed my will, changed my uh, your mind. My uh, not my mind actually. I wasn't sure initially I was a mind chance, but I was a. Good girl, listen to my father uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. So I changed my major. I wouldn't think first few years in high in college or even first few years in PhD, I didn't know that was where I ended up. But uh, Pfizer really saved me. Pfizer, right? Okay. After. So when you finished high, you, I'm sorry, you finished college. You, you had a biochemistry de- degree, yeah. And I'm sorry, what was the university? Uh, Cincinnati. No, 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 for college, for an undergraduate. Undergraduate from Jilin University. Jilin, okay. Molecular biology. Molecular biology, that's it. All right, and then you, you started looking around for a, a Ph.D. program? Yeah, then uh, I was accepted by the uh, Jilin University has a um, United Nations sponsors. Uh, United Nations sponsors four laboratories in China. Uh-huh. One of them is uh, Anzhan Engineering. It's based in my school. My school is very well known for lots of chemists, lots of uh, uh, physics, good academy members. Uh-huh. So uh, I uh, been, you know, applied. I got the master degree, and I got the master degree program because China back then wasn't PhD, master was not still one program. Yeah, they're but, split. Yeah, mm-hmm. <coughs> but I got in for a year. And then I left, and I went to U.S. To the University of Cincinnati? Indirectly to the University of Cincinnati, because I like the professor, because he moved to Cincinnati, so I followed him. Oh, from from your master's program? He no, moved? No, no, no. Uh, he's uh, from one of the elite schools, I can't remember, but uh, in, in New York, but my father preferred... I stay in Cincinnati. Prefer go to West East East Coast to be safe. <laughs> so he said, "To be safe, go to Cincinnati instead yeah, of the East yeah, Coast." Yeah. Well, Cincinnati's—I mean, it's not a—it's not the safest city in the world, I suppose. It's not the worst, but uh, back then was uh, pretty okay. You have Cincinnati rights, Bengals, you know. You have Cincinnati. The design school is very good. Yeah. I always thought one day I would jump to the design school. Oh yeah. Yes, but uh, had you had you been to the U.S. Had you been out of China by then before? No, this is your first time abroad. First time. And your dad said, "Okay, well, if we're going to go to the U.S., I mean, no East Coast, the West Coast. You go to Midwest. Go to the middle, uh, the Midwest. Okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, so then you go to Cincinnati. I mean, that must have been, you know, a big culture shock. Obviously, um, how was your English then? Terrible. I spoke my high school even now. Uh, in my uh, secondary school, I spoke Russian. Oh, so oh, oh. I always joke about that. I'm a Russian Chinese speaker. Uh-huh. Russian Chinese English. Yep. And uh, so the professor, my professor, was very very nice. And one of the professors has a very strong London accent. So he taught six oh one about chemistry six oh one. I couldn't understand one word of what he was saying. But uh, I was able to get A. He was just shocked. 
And because uh, I went to ask for his uh, notebook, he wouldn't give it to me. No. And uh, but I so recorded. He said you can record my lecture. He said you can record yeah, it. Oh. oh, you cannot. Yeah, but then I asked some students. I said I want to learn exactly where we're learning. He just basically, but the professor was nice. He said, "Well, this is the part we're learning, chapter one to five. So we're going to get a test." So once I got reading the chapter one to five, I said, "Oh, I learned that before. I know, I know what it's about. I just don't know how to say." Yeah. So I ended up drawing program, uh, drawing grams, diagrams, all of those. But the textbook was also in English, no? Yes, it's English. But you had, I mean, that slows it down. You can look up words. It's a little yeah. easier to handle. Yeah. So it, it wasn't the material wasn't material a problem. Was it was so just easy. it was just understanding, yeah, you know, the professor exactly speaking at the top. But uh, after a year, you know, it becomes uh, all the biochemistry program. He taught I was like, I, I learned, I know that. It's not it's just I have to learn, pick up the language. Yeah. So it took about two years to just actually, to me, the first two years, all the undergrad, all the PhD programs, we have to learn, take courses. But for me, my courses are great going up because once I educate more English, and I wouldn't say yucky anymore. When people ask me how's the food, <laughs> I'll say yummy. I'll say good, yummy, not good, yucky. Yep. Also, people. Call my uh, would tell my professor say oh I have a good college friend joined University of Missouri and my 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 teacher my professor was joking with me said oh everyone should be sent to University of Missouri before they appreciate other schools I said really maybe I should transfer that's funny the University of Missouri yeah uh, yeah uh, okay so then uh, you, you said it took about. You know, two years before you really settled into the language and yep. everything was becoming easier, the combination of the language and the learning was easier. Which left about, I don't know, two years left of your PhD to handle? That's, that's two years into my PhD. Yeah. But then uh, during those two years, uh, so I think what helped me was I was a one year I was given fellowship, uh, one year, uh, so I don't need to teach. Uh-huh. One year I, was, um, I wasn't given fellowship. But I was just scholarship, but the, the chemistry, I instructed the chemist how to do chemistry. At least I know how to do the work. Yep. I mean, not good at just telling them exactly how to do it, but uh, I can always pull them on the side, pointing different parts, and uh, write down by slides, say this is what you have done, yep. what you achieve. Yeah. And... Uh, in year three, actually, when my professor was on sabbatical, I taught uh, graduate school uh, level 601 for both uh, biochemistry and uh, medical students. Make a lot of money. Yeah, that's good. Just taught by class. And that helped, like, pay tuition and everything else? Well, I don't ever pay, need to pay tuition. Oh. I was, I was uh, recruited by... Uh, some sponsor, some fellowship or sponsorship program. Oh, okay. So that so you didn't have to, you know, work. I didn't have the money. To oh, that's pay. great. That's great. Yeah, the people in the eighties, uh, a lot of people probably have to work, but I was very fortunate. I didn't need to. I got the fellowship or the scholarships. Yeah. Okay. So then, I you, you know, you finished your PhD, and. Um, I think, you know, many people would do a postdoc. You did not do a postdoc, right? No. You went right into industry. 
I told my professor I couldn't stand academic anymore. Just get me a job. <laughs> Why? Why did you not? What, what was about? What about the academic life? Did you not like? Uh, I think a lot of academic jobs, especially the kind of work we do, it's very hard to, you know, in the cell, in the body, mm -hmm. in vivo, in vitro, you really don't know what happens. Uh -huh. Whether it works for human or not, you really don't know. I'm a, I'm probably pretty much not a basic science person. I like to see results. Yeah. And uh, I like to see how what I do, how how does it impact in human life? So that's why uh, when I graduated, that was ninety three. It was uh, I interviewed few positions. Luckily, uh, Friday was the last last one gave me the offer. Last one. Because uh, they were the last one came outside interview. Uh huh. And uh, it wasn't even my major. Uh, but professor likes uh, the fighter likes uh, two professors in electrical engineering and also cometographer and both are on my thesis committee they're not my main committee member Dr. Sana Biochemistry yeah but those two uh, faculty members happen to really uh, enjoy me taking their courses because uh, by later on when I take courses it was just very easy for me, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. It's no longer about, I, I, as long as you overcome the language basic barrier, and uh, so it's really about the material, and uh, they both recommended, and the fact that just out of 20-some people interviewed, they took me back as a wrong major. So yeah. Pfizer came on campus and they talked to your, your advisors, two of your advisors, your thesis advisors, as they probably often did every year, and said, you know, what well, students have you had? Once year, one year. Pfizer usually don't go to Cincinnati. Really? No. Huh. When I graduated. That was the end of it? No. Even before and after. Because Pfizer usually likes to go to the East Coast, Everest. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I was pretty lucky, but uh, so they interviewed 20, 22 of us, or 25, I don't remember, and they invited to follow on to give a on-campus interview. I remember the first interview, the director asked me, which paper was published by a postdoc group, which was by PhD, I said, sorry, I don't have a postdoc. After you were hired? Yeah, not, not the interview. Oh, in the interview? Uh. And... Uh, she was like, we never heard people with. And without a without a postdoc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they did. But I think uh, after they paid me, they probably figured interview a PhD very expensive. Yeah. It's a two day interview, limousine, all the bloody hotels, everything. Yeah. And uh, I got accepted. And you uh, thought, all right, I'm done with academia. I've got an industry job now. Yeah. Where where was where were the you moved to the headquarters? Just yeah. Brighton. Yeah. Headquarters R and D. But uh, I took a few months uh, just to go back to visit my family in China. Oh, was that your first time back? Yes. How was that? No, that was good. That's where I found had a long discussion with my father about his philosophy of communism, the cultural revolution, the cultural revolution, and uh, so we talk a lot about. So then I know something of what his view. Yeah, yeah. Before I didn't know that much. So that's a good trip, a good return trip. 
And so you, then you say to them, well, l- listen, mom and dad, I've gotten a job offer at Pfizer, so I'm, I'm not coming back to China right now. I'm staying in the U.S. How do they feel about that? They supported me. My father was very open-minded. In 1977, when China first opened door, they, uh, my father visited Italy, Germany, Japan, different countries. Every place he visited, he sent us postcards. Yeah. Um, he didn't give us, didn't buy a lot of things for us because he didn't have the money. You know, the government sponsored trip. But uh, he just amazed China how much behind. Yeah. So he really encouraged us all go out. Go out and get whatever information you can learn. Yeah, okay. You know, you're like, all right, I'm working at Pfizer. I'm I'm an American citizen, basically. I'm working at a at an industry yeah. job, and this is going to be my life. Yeah. Uh, and this is for R and D, the R R and D division. R&D. Yeah. So what did, what did you learn there? I mean, this must be where you began to learn business, oh, right? I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed those project team meetings. Some can be chaotic, but uh, I remember one of the Pfizer VPs told me when I first joined, one of the project team meetings was like half an hour, one hour, they couldn't come by any conclusion because I'm from each forest group, I'm from, you know, Baltimore's group, this uh-huh. is very important, right? So I'm uh, just some 20, you know, 20s, you know, 20s graduate students and I uh, end up saying, so I don't care which group, but can we get something done? Yeah. So uh, one of my VPs was very kind. She said, uh, at the time, my name was Ying Du. And until you went to Hong Kong, people don't, you don't have necessary to have English name. So my Ying Du also is uh, pretty funny for them. They keep calling me Dr. Doolittle because I was short, right? <laughs> that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, seem very nice, actually. Yeah, it's okay. I, I, I take jokes very well. I give them a lot of um, Dr. Kowalski, whoever killed ah. kill projects. Okay, so you gave him you gave him yeah, nicknames I back. back. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't take it. But uh, so he said, uh, in, you know, because I sometimes frustrated as a first, because uh, I honestly think uh, looking at my growth path, you know, growing up pattern, I had been student body president. I was. You know, in year three, all the way to high school, uh-huh. I uh, had been basketball team. Basketball team? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Captain for three, five years. I was on the field track running team for a few years. So I thought, and also I was, you know, the president of my class yeah. all, all along. For your high school class? All along. Oh, wow. From uh, undergrad, from elementary all along. So I think even for uh, for high school, yeah. I think what I was doing well those years preparing me is leadership. Just basically, you know, I'm not afraid to just organize things, say things, and uh, organize student activities yeah. or public speech. That's another thing I think helped me a lot. But also... Probably, I'm uh, grew up in a big kids family. Nobody, my father was busy, my mother was busy, his youngest daughter. So I was able to 
or after the students together after school. How many how many siblings did you have? Six. So you were the sixth. Six. Well, you I was the fourth daughter. Fourth daughter, six total. Two, you have two brothers. Yes, two younger ones. Oh, okay. So I was able to lead the neighborhood kids in the class, and also the school kids to do a lot of crazy things. But uh, crazy, in a way, teachers didn't dislike. Yeah. So I became a president. But anyway, so I think uh, advisor. So the one of the directors, you know, VP said to me, "In leadership, defines your own position." Today, you may be a research scientist. You know, you're dealing with all these big shots, VP investor, VP directors. Uh-huh. But, you know, may not change for five years or ten years, but your upset is unlimited. If you have the key leadership skill, and you shouldn't say, I'm just a research scientist, their director, VPs, I cannot lead them. No, you just go ahead to volunteer yourself. Pfizer, well, Pfizer told you all this. Yes. Somebody, so it's like I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm gonna move this over. You, you were, you're saying you had all these leadership skills that maybe you, you weren't even really aware of. You'd been basketball captain of the basketball team, class president. You'd been track and field. You've been leading people. And Pfizer sort of saw it and said, "Look, I know you're Pfizer, only 20, whatever." Pfizer but, was that what I when I joined Pfizer, I really appreciate they do cutting edge. They do research edge. Yeah. Then leading edge. And then they got Peter Drucker, a few others, just put a small group of people and uh, educate us. I think by then they already know who has leadership, who doesn't have. Yeah. And then, but they, I remember I raised my hand in one of the training when just four or five of us. I said, leadership you're born with or you don't born, you, you don't have it. Fighter said, yes, but we want to train you to be the next generation fighter executives. Not Mafia or McDonald. Yeah. So that was good. Okay. Mafia gave a very good training. And uh, also, uh, Father was really helping me, the hard linguinitist, right, from Yale, twice a day, start. But I couldn't take advantage too long, only six months. Because once I joined the licensing team, Language has become very important. So they had a linguist speaking with you to sort of like, to, so that you could be, your English would get better and better and you could yeah. go speak in front of big groups or yeah. whatever. Yeah, okay. So how long were you with the R&D group versus the uh, licensing? Licensing wasn't too long. R&D was six, seven Licensing, maybe you're not. I can't remember. Ah, so mo- most of your time at Pfizer was R&D. Mm. So you were looking at this. You're lo- you're part of the R&D team for Pfizer to sort of discover new drugs, mm-hmm. um, and then I was very lucky. Two of the drugs I was involved, and uh, also responsible for certain uh, write-ups, both launched globally. So that's why after those and uh, Pfizer, uh, and also I. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because you'd seen this, you'd seen the whole pathway from discovery all the way through a global launch. From development. Yeah, right. from development and all the way. So you, you'd seen sort of the whole way yeah. this thing works. Okay, so that makes perfect sense that they're thinking, okay, you know, maybe licensing would be good for you. Mm-hmm. And because the licensing sometimes is not a, a, a fixed function. It just, but uh, I think science is not much that different. If you yeah. want to learn, okay, in diabetes at those times, it's not that many targets, just four. Yeah. You can go after. And so then after you've been in licensing for a year and a half or two, I, I've sort of lost the pathway here. Somebody, uh, ChiMed comes to you and, and they want you to recruit Recruit somebody, but this ends up with you leaving Pfizer, I think. Yeah. They didn't want to recruit somebody. They want to recruit me. I thought they were asking you to help recruit, and you no. couldn't find someone, and eventually... Exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, they asked me, first of all, uh, Conferry came to me. Uh-huh. Asked me, because Conferry is a good client. When I was a head of PhD recruiting committee for Pfizer, they asked a favor, say, I know you don't like Pfizer. You don't want to leave Pfizer. Can you help? So I recommended some people, but not just Pfizer, all over industry. And uh, finally, Confer said, oh, why don't you meet with them? Because uh, so far, they're not happy. With the people you suggested, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, why don't you meet with them? Yeah. And you, But you, you loved Pfizer. You didn't want to... Yes. I said, uh, why do I meet with them? It's a waste of time. They said, uh, we come to New York every Tuesday, right? Yes. And why don't you meet up in New York? You know, it's not a wasting of time. Yeah. So that's, I was just by curiosity, I met. And this when we spent four hours, then they gave me the job. <laughs> I didn't even know. By now, I don't know what a job means. And when, the, when, they, when they said, hey, we're offering you the job, you said, okay? No. I said, oh, no, no, no. It's not for me. I got the wrong person. Yeah. I'm happy in Connecticut. I have a... Beautiful job, I love. My husband doing well. Did you have kids yet? Yeah, I yeah. Have a son. I said, oh, I'm not considering moving back. But I think 
really triggered me, Robert. But uh, this recording from Plastum giving you a six month pressure. Keep saying we cannot find somebody else to do. And uh, this is my problem. I, <laughs> you know, sometimes you feel like guilty, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, we're trying to build the best China investment group. Yeah. And uh, you're basically the core person, but, you know, we're going to help. It's feel guilty. So they, they kept asking you, you kept offering these people, they weren't hiring them, and, and you started to feel like, well, you know, it's your responsibility somehow. Yeah. And they finally said, well, we're going to offer it to you, and you said, all right, well, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to think about this. Yeah, actually, I thought, well, it's two-way street. I go there, set it up, I'll come back. Huh. That's my... That was your thinking. Thinking at those days. Because it, you know, it's like when when you left China for the U.S., the the, the reasoning was very clear. You're going to get a PhD program. You're going to go get education. But to return, it was it more about okay, helping build a better China. Yes, definitely. Because uh, uh, they were telling about China, you're taking fake medicines, blah blah blah. If you can develop your actual uh, international, you should help Chinese patients. And that got you. And that got me, right? Yeah. You know, sense of responsibility, sense of like... Lo- loyalty, your homeland, yeah, yeah all, all of it. I would say young and bold. You know, I was in my 30s, mid-30s. But you are young and bold. Bold, yeah. Just like, okay, what takes? So... Uh, so did you did you talk to your husband and your your yeah, son about it? Uh, my son, of course, didn't know better. How old was he then? Uh, he was three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't ask him about right. it. My husband basically said, well, if you want to take six months, because at the time my father also just passed away, oh. he said, uh, maybe uh, take six months sabbatical, right? But I didn't want to to, 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 tie, to lie to my father boss, because yeah. I thought they treated me really nice. Yeah. They keep giving some uh, hints uh, if I come if I don't go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, if you stay with us, you will keep moving yeah, in this direction, yeah. Uh, and uh, I said, well, why don't you give me the opportunity to try? To try for a year, and I'll see how it works. Yeah. But bottom line is, I think uh, I I had all positive respects, all positive thinking aside. Very yeah. Well. But uh, I really have no reason to believe Right. No, it's just this this kind of uh, a little bit of guilt you said because they hadn't found the right person. A little bit of like loyalty, like let's uh, yeah. I can go back and help the Chinese patient population. Yeah. They, and there's responsibility. need responsibility. Yeah, and yeah. Naiveness. Yeah. So then you um, you did it right. So you packed up and you went to Hong Kong. Went to Hong Kong. Did your husband come with you? No. The first six months he didn't. I said stay. Yeah. Because I'm not sure that's a place you can you can stay. Yeah. So he stayed, and I come, I came, and uh, spent the first uh, first six months in Hong Kong, and uh, helped in doing the investment, right? So I became the senior vice president, the, or EVP for investment. Investing three joint <coughs> ventures for all traditional Chinese medicine. All okay, all traditional. So when you when you got there, you thought, all right, you could see the the differences, right? And uh, did you start thinking, okay, here's here's the way that I could make Chinese medicine better? Well, the way I thought about it was uh, at least Chinese medicine at the time has 20 some, has 20 years of mineral treaty protection, that U.S. patent. And uh, so that was one. Secondly, when I picked the projects, 
I tend to look at from a TI perspective or cardiovascular, not like random manufacturer, 200, you know, uh, 2,000 uh, products, and none of them can sell. Right? Yeah. So I think that was the one I take credit for is basically when I go in into the negotiation, I come from my perspective say, we don't need those all your 300 products. Yeah, you want to find... We just need this, you know... Focus in. Focus yeah. TA. So what, in what ways is the culture different than what you'd seen at Pfizer? Oh, very different. Yeah, Pfizer is, is a purely on drug. It's yeah. purely on... Drug innovation. Oh, drug innovation, right, yeah. Yeah, Hutchison is purely on making money. So more revenue-driven. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, and the talent pool is just, there's nowhere different. You don't feel like a leverage. You can just talk to it. feel like on the same wavelength, right? Yeah. So I decided, gee, this is time up, you know, six months and done. Then so after six months, what happened? I, I did all the project. I did all the company, and I recruited people and resigned. You resigned. Yeah. Ah. And, did you? Uh, you didn't go back to Pfizer. I wanted to. Ah. But uh, then they said, "Oh no, no, no! You had to find a replacement to resign." But uh, it took me six months. I couldn't find a replacement. At, at Hutchinson, you're yeah, talking about, yeah. For Hutchinson. Yeah. Because I, re- I recommend anybody they didn't like. It's the same problem you had before. You kept recommending people to them. They wouldn't hire them. They hired you. You wanted to leave. You kept recommending yeah. people, and they wouldn't hire them. Yeah. 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 So and, uh, I said, okay, if you don't let me do that, and uh, I'll do about that. So they said, okay, write a proposal. For a whole week, I didn't leave the sleep. I wrote a proposal. For this new biotech you were going to start up. Yeah. And uh, at the board meeting, they approved. I was like, gee, that's the steal. But of course, I didn't say how much equity I want. Yeah. Because I was under the assumption this is all normal, internationalized, right? Yeah. How much founders share? Never talk about it. I was so stupid. And uh, they were glad. And they said, okay. So they, they started, the, they funded the, the initial company. Yeah, but... Did they uh, spin out any patents to you, or, or what was your, your intellectual property to start the company? Well, I had no... None. You said, I have a concept, I want to start it, and I, they said... I said, uh, I had a concept, but all I wanted to do was kindness. I wanted to do patent bust on the kindness. Kindness inhibitors. Inhibitors. Yeah. And also uh, on some traditional Chinese medicine... Because of the botanical law changes, I could have taken advantage of the evidence from China to U.S. I see. So the first IPO was actually based on that philosophy. And the second one, then, uh, Ames, but, uh, but uh, oh. The first IPO was on what market? Ames. On the Ames market, yeah, right, because okay. Because we're not allowed to do Hong Kong or NASDAQ. Not yet. At the time. Yeah. Hutchison at the time was not delisted from Hong Kong. But bottom line, I thought just with our own little lab in Shanghai we had, we done well. Yeah. Uh, so the, the main problems you had were structural, uh, f- financing and structural, structural, not in the lab. The lab part went, went great. You did yeah. some good licensings and you had some good, some good discoveries as well. We couldn't do licensing. Oh. Without licensing. 
out licensing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out licensing. I mean, you, so yeah, that's that's a. Yeah. So that in that regard is a success, right? Yeah. And then you thought, okay, so that ended, and you thought, well, uh, maybe I'm going to do one more. I'm going to try another one. Well, when I ended, and uh, what I was thinking is, uh, take a break. So first of all, I wanted to take a break. Yeah. I thought I was able to have a very peaceful life for six months. Yeah. And that was the busiest life in my life for six months. Why? Because you have lots of entrepreneurs, lots of academics, lots of government officials. Now they think you're free. They use you as a good... Even international, I think almost pretty much all the majority of BC funds came to come to me and say, you want to be venture partner, full partner, advisor, blah, 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 or... International funds and also yes, also Chinese VCs must have been like well more international. Oh, interesting. Because uh, uh, we worked all on the international rights. I rarely work with on the Chinese, and I don't work with. This. And also for our fund, I look for more international funds. Huh. And uh, finally, I uh, thought, okay, of all my career, I didn't do licensing. No, no, I didn't do financing. Uh-huh. Why don't I try that? Just see what it looks like. Yeah. My condition was, I don't want to go to a firm is very established in the life science uh, uh, practice, but also a firm doesn't have money. And uh, I like to go to the firm also recognize I don't know them well. They are not good at this part. They have to let me to lead it. So that's why I joined Sequoia. You joined Sequoia, yeah. So you did yeah. some investing there. Yeah. So at this point, you know, I'm looking at your career. You've done R&D at Pfizer. Yeah. You've done uh, licensing at Pfizer. Then you did, you did at Hotch, you did R&D, and then you had a spin-out experience, mm-hmm. and now financing. So you'd really gathered, Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, Hotch, I was more entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you'd gathered, like, all elements, really, yeah. to understand how to build biotechs at this yeah. point. And also, so when I was investing in these companies, I invested uh, four companies. Luckily, within three years, uh, three IPO and uh, very big check size. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good return. But also, when I was sitting on the board, I see how they build from R&D to commercial. I think that gave me a lot of exposure. But of course, I also wasn't a silent you know, investor. I always have a board seat. So I was able to help them to recruit or help them to build a relationship with modern nationals. Yeah. And uh, But after a year and a half, I was bored. I honestly was bored. <laughs> so uh, I told Nelson and uh, Doug, I first told Michael Morgan. And uh, Michael, no, Doug Young, Doug was very good. He kept it really confidential. Then to Michael, then Neil heard about it. Uh-huh. So, so we talked about success and plan again. So we found a, you know, we recruit, we had to recruit someone on board. And uh, which I always be want to be responsible, right? Yeah. So we had a recruitment plan and also he was reaching a 400 million equivalent in B. So I need to uh, just close it. Yeah. So with those done, officially I came out in April, started this uh, Zala. 
So do you think, <clears throat> looking back at your history here, do you think Xilab has done so well because you, at this point, had seen all these elements of building biotechs? You understood the financing structure now better than you did before at, at uh, Medichem. You already stood uh, the, uh, the R&D aspect. You've done licensing in and out. So now you're sort of like, okay, now I really know how to build a complete company. Do you I think? think? I think so. I think also uh, I had the, uh, because being an entrepreneur, you also have to be able to attract the right people. Uh-huh. I thought of in Hodgson days, uh, the early hard days, first three years, it's hard to attract, especially in 2001. But uh, after five years, I had really hardship on myself. I was able to start convincing people joining me, right? Yeah. And I think as a leader, you always have to, you have to kind of embrace change. Do not say, I used to do that model, I have to keep doing that model, or I used to work that group, I have to do that group. And uh, as a leader also, I think you have to have kind of empathy to people, say, why would they get out of their big shot job, come with you, right? Yeah. Just like uh, I did that many years ago. I always wonder, why did I do that? And uh, so this time, we, um, I thought, instead of doing just in-house, which is uh, without a technology platform, which is no, no longer patent-busting stage. So we started with a licensing yeah. model, basically realizing 50% of good oncology drugs has now been in China. Yes, the yeah. The second one is build our own discovery, but has to be differentiated and uh, with our own platform. Some platform we license from university, some we you know collaborate with some investigators. And uh, of course, the uh, development side is uh, licensing part is easier, you know. Yeah. Discovery is hard, super hard. Right. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Without showing much. Yeah. Now, luckily, next year we will be entering into clinics. You will. Uh, yeah. With a self-discovered drug. Yeah. At least one or two. Because that's our core, core expertise. Yeah. You know, there's these kind of three beacons in Chinese biotech. Uh, BGI is one of them, right? For all the sequencing. Mm-hmm. Be- Beijing is another. Mm-hmm. Well, they do have some discovery. They also have some licensing going mm-hmm. on. And then Xilab is like almost like this portal mm-hmm. where good drugs that have been approved to other parts of the world can now get into China and reach yeah. Chinese patients, yeah. right? Would you agree that those are like the three – you're sort of seen as a beacon for this real commercial side of um, of biotech? I think people who hasn't realized Xilab evolved tremendously since uh, day one. So now we are four, we're almost now five years old. Uh-huh. So I agree with uh, a lot of people call us the gateway to China, yeah. the beacon to Western. But also in the meantime, we are 500 companies, you know, and a lot of them on R&D, five, half on R&D. Uh, 500 staff, you mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. 200 on commercial. We mm-hmm. also build a commercial <coughs> platform. We also have our manufacturing, right? And... Uh, we discovery. We also have our own discovery pipeline. Yep. And uh, financial, from market cap perspective, I don't think we're that big. And uh, that, I believe myself. I'm a, I'm a company builder. I like to, you know, I always say I like to focus on fundamentals. If it's good, 
takes will to come off. Yeah. Just take one or two drugs, people will know who you are. But uh, we also, if you look at the evolution company from a purely portal of licensing to discover innovative medicines, next year we'll see at least one to two, uh, either first in class or best in class to the market. And then people also see our commercial. We build a strong commercial platform. And uh, we already launched two uh, products in Hong Kong. Uh We are going to launch additional two products in China. And those two products we launched are both have unmet medical needs. They are now like PD-1s. Yeah. You have maybe 220 people fighting. We, each one of them, we have unique unmet medical needs, no counterparts. And uh, we feel like, uh, you know, they uh, they won already in NDA submission on the priority uh they did, yeah. Review in China. Yep. So we're hoping to get approval. When we try to get a trial uh, approve trial waiver, we'll see how it works. But over if it works, then that's another approval. And uh, we also have uh, omega-settling approved in U.S. In U.S., people don't care because it's a, you know, U.S. has a lot of regulations. Yeah, yeah. In China, it's not the case. And... Uh, 70% revenue, I think, will drive from China. Oh, yeah, sure. And uh, we also have uh, recently have a very new positive data out of Omeda, out of a uh, 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 company called uh, Macrogenics. And uh, we also have some positive data from their, their non-inferiority study compared to HER2. Uh-huh. And uh, this March looks uh, much better than her too in the <coughs> later line setting. But so, the, so the company's evolved. You know, it, it sort of began maybe as this this uh, gateway, as you were saying, but it's evolved now, and you're really pushing your own discovery. That's the change. Discovery vertical. Vertical, yeah, yeah. So the, I wanted to ask you some some questions about um, the broader Chinese drug development environment. And the first one is, uh, can you tell me, like, when, when, when you sort of look at it, it looks like, okay, what China needs to do better is tech transfer at, at the academic level. That's definitely, but first of all, academic needs to have more. Right. So tell me, like, how can that get better in China? Well, first of all, I think China's still in the process of the influx of bringing overseas talented investigators to China. Secondly, a lot of the offices, like you said, have no experience. Yeah. And uh, like in Shanghai Tech University, Wuxi and us actually set up a company just doing the tech transfer for them. And uh, I think they, it, this is not a, a difficult, you know. China just have to gradually appreciate the, individual, the investigators, their rights, IP rights, uh-huh. and allow collaboration with the industry. And uh, it's uh, happening, but uh, sometimes it's, it takes time. Yeah. Because uh, you know the, the lack of knowledge, but uh, as uh, people like us going back, keep pushing for it. Yeah. I think it's going to get there. So it's like this continuum, yeah. and right now it's sort of at the beginning, and it's on the yeah. on the way up. Okay. Um, I wanted this is sort of a political question. So uh, it's almost like ever since Donald Trump got in office, he started a trade war with basically the rest of the world, including China. And then we've had things like 
um, the Hawaii exec was detained in Canada, Meg Huanzao, mm. her name. And Highway. And then uh, it's sort of like the NIH has told investigators in the U.S. universities that they need to watch researchers who have ties to multiple um, research ties to other countries. They don't want yeah. IP leaving the, the country or not. And that, that also includes China. So the question is, like, from the outside, how much of that is political posturing and smoke, and how much of it is actually something to worry about? I actually don't worry about it that much. I think, uh, first of all, the trade war itself, okay? There's a, I think, the, you know, since China joined WHO, WTO, right? Uh -huh. There's a, a, the trade war has always been going on. And uh, it's maybe not as elevated as now. And uh, in some regards, you know, it's not for China giving, the U.S. giving certain parts is not a bad thing for both countries. Yeah. Because uh, you are both very powerful economy, and also follow the WHO, uh, uh, you know, guidance. I think we should all. I think both countries should be more open. That's my personal view, and even some European countries or some uh, other countries. You know, apparently China uh, has more surplus, so that gives you the more uh, basically more 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 attention. But uh, I think China needs to, uh, that's why China really now talking about domestic, you know, uh, need to increase uh, consumer power uh -huh. and uh, innovation and uh, also talking about, uh, you know, uh, innovation internally, right? Yeah. I think China also needs to uh, asking their citizens to, Putting too high saving, you know, into saving, you know, money into the saving account needs to be more invested, right? Ah, so and so change China, the way they're sort of yeah, uh, yeah. change their way. And also recently, you see China actually opened the farmer door, let a lot of foreign companies coming in get approved more quickly. Yeah, I think China also joined ACH. So I think all of this trade war, in a way, is. Uh, uh, I wouldn't think it's really hurting China. I think it's uh, benefiting both countries mm. if we negotiate on the right. Yeah. Okay. You're saying it sort of like opened up a renegotiation on yeah, on everything. I think, yeah. Because uh, China joined WHO since 2007, right? I can't remember. But uh, it's there, this has to be. There's a constant negotiation. Yeah. This perhaps just time elevated to Donald Trump's level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, also in terms of, uh, you know, espionage, all of those. First of all, I don't know, you indicate individual case, if it's true or not. Yeah. But if it's true, it's always happening. Even, you know, in the six days, seven days, you know, eight days, it's not just China. It's, Jap it's Japan, it's Russia. Russia, it's the U.S., it's yeah. It's U.S., yeah. it's Israel, everywhere there. Yeah. So all I'm saying is this is not a new thing. Again, a lot of times it's because China become much more powerful country. Yeah. So people draw more attention to China. Before, just like uh, I think like 80s or say Japan, we always focus on Japan, right? Yeah. When I was working in the U.S. Yeah. So I, I think having this kind of trade war, this kind of open dialogue, it's a good thing. It's sort of like what you're saying is it's sort of like, well, in the 80s when if this was going on, 
from China. It was like, well, it's really nothing to worry yeah, about. But China's cares. powerful enough now that you need exactly. to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. So also, I think this way, uh, regardless, uh, I don't think Donald Trump is so right about his points, but I think China can also learn something from uh, say exactly what U.S. look for. Yeah. And uh, what China can complement, and also China as a country. You also need to see what's your shortness, because you cannot rely on, like China. I was recently told ports is going to be an issue, because uh, there's so many virus in 700 million. But don't don't quote me. <laughs> 700 million ports, and I was like ports when I go back with seven times. China also as a country needs to realize you are not like U.S. You know, U.S. somewhat is self-resilient, you know, yeah. self-reliable. Yeah, yeah. You have large agriculture, yeah. high-tech, pharma, and uh, China, I don't think is to have China's farmer that's not self-sufficient. Yeah, no, 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 of course so not. So yeah, all yeah, of this, yeah. and uh, I, 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 I'm probably one of the very few people look at this trade war as something maybe positive both for U.S. and China. For U.S., people need to think more about opening, what things opening. Uh, in U.S., right, why you why you keep all these low-cost jobs here when the cost is so high? Yeah. But in China, same, now your cost is also high. Yeah. You need to, China needs to think about you know, build innovation like U.S. Yeah. So. That's interesting, yeah. That's an interesting uh, take on it. So I, um, I think two more things I want to ask you. One is, you know, we've so talking about again about the the sort of drug development continuum in China. It went from traditional Chinese medicine to sort of like a CRO explosion, contract research organization Generic. explosions. Generics were there, and then some Me Too drugs, and now you're starting to see first in class drugs. Yeah. And it's like how long before we actually see like brand new modalities coming out of Chinese research? Maybe in ten years. Ten years, yeah. I would say ten years, because. Yeah, I wouldn't say many, but at least some of you, like five to ten years. That's good. I mean, you know, when you look at the the growth, that the if you consider the Chinese biotech, it's really only been there maybe maybe ten years total, right? I mean, it's like so. Yeah, ten years from now would be a twenty year industry. That's still really young. Still young, and still still very entrepreneur. And uh, but again, China needs to. China has its. China still in its primitive stage needs to learn from U.S. Yeah, needs to really the uh, regulatory part. Or every, China has already made a lot of progress on the regulatory part, but still China needs to realize, and uh, rather than invent the wheel, you need to learn from other advanced countries. Yeah, that's true. Uh, last thing, you know, I've I've heard you referred to as the the godmother of Chinese biotech or Chinese life sciences. What do you what do you think of that title? Uh, I've been referred to many many titles, <laughs> and uh, my son actually thought that was means I was a drug dealer, got mother drug. Dealer. Oh, because of, because of the movie? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, oh, I also I was given lifetime achievement award, and uh, some goddess of God, the goddess of drug. But inside, what I really like. Most is drug hunter. Drug culture. Drug hunter. Drug hunter. Oh yeah, yes. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I like I like to be called drug hunter. 
Because regardless how what I do, you know, I mean, what I do always to provide medicine for the patients, like the two drugs, uh, Longjet Pfizer or two Longjet Hutchinson. Now we launched two to four uh, in the next two years. I feel very proud when then patients take the drug yeah. from, from us. Say, you know, one one single mom and. Uh, when he was not on our Zuzula in Hong Kong, he almost died. He couldn't really walk. And uh, we gave him Zuzula, very simple use. And after not short, not, not long, he, she can walk, she can cook, she can walk. She can even go out of work. So and that, that makes you feel good. Yeah, really yeah. good. You yeah. feel like, like uh, one cook used to have a GBM, couldn't, you know, again, the wasn't thinking about he this delayed his marriage everything because he thinks he has to be responsible. But now he go back to work, he married, you know, he thinking about having kids. I think that's to me that's very rewarding. On top of being entrepreneur I mean to me entrepreneurship or even doing this at Pfizer I wouldn't mind. Just just Pfizer probably a little bit bigger yeah this one we can do things quicker yeah it's, it's like it, it doesn't matter if it's Pfizer or wherever you you just like the concept of eventually the drug yes get, reaches the patient the yeah that's why I was so I was telling you when my professor wanted to send me to Stanford so so and so post he has a Nobel Prize thing if you go after him you can be a great professor I said no no no, no, no. please I, w- I want to do I want to see really what we do um, is that meaningful to the patients? Yeah. So let's all go back to that. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate you coming in. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for your time. There it is. Your first rounders podcast with Samantha Dew. Thank you, as always, to the guest Samantha. Thank you for coming in. She's also featured in our article, Innovation Nation, looking at Chinese biotech. You can find that on the homepage of Nature Biotechnology. I will put some information up in our bioengineering community page about Samantha Dew. If you have comments on this podcast, that article, or anything else that Nature Biotechnology does, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. My name is Brady Huggett. Thank you, and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 